Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Dr. Anthony Amano with us here today, who is award-winning children's and middle-grade author, retired professor of children's and adult literature, and literacy education. Through his many experiences and his passion as an award-winning educator of 50 years, Dr. Mann has inspired kids and teens around the world to become confident, skilled, and happily motivated readers and writers. He's taught in schools and universities in Turkey, Greece, Albania, and the United States, where he immersed kids, teens, and young adults in powerful multicultural books and entertaining action-packed activities to help them enjoy the discoveries about themselves and others that great books and their own writing can encourage them to explore. Anthony's newest release, Lucas and the Game of Chance, is a reimagined Greek folktale illuminated with dramatic and evocative pen and ink drawings that provide an ideal backdrop for the intrigue that fills this touching story of human struggle, courage, and resilience. Anthony, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Jesse, it's such an honor. Thanks so much. Is that were you talking about me just then? I really like. Yeah, so- it was. It was. I was talking about somebody, and we'll, since you're here, we'll, we'll say that's you. Well, it was so nice. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate, it. and I appreciate being here. I mean, I I should say, you know, the first thing is that I, I, you know, when I when I was introduced to you through your through your website, and I looked at the work you're doing, um, and then I the work you're doing to bring people through and out. And then when I went to the Ted talk and I was just, wow, I really needed to hear that Ted talk. And I wish everyone listening to us today would go in and read and listen to the Ted talk, watch the Ted talk because it's about grief. And it's a, to me, it's a a new way of thinking about grief and grieving. Um, So I'm glad to be here. It's a, it's a, an honor. Thank you. And likewise, Anthony, and, and thank you for the kind words and, and the honors mine, because I have read Lucas in the Game of Chance, and I want to start by first giving a quick endorsement to it, and I want to dive into the book. I read this book, and I have to tell you all, I wasn't sure about you reading a kid's book. I wasn't sure what I was going to get, and I thought it was going to be a short kid's book. And this is actually a full story that was so moving and emotive and thought-provoking that I found myself moved to tears, not once, but twice by reading it. And it's, there's such a simple sweetness to the core themes and ideas throughout it that I was talking, and just so you all know, it's taken Anthony and I 50 minutes to get this recording started because we've been chit-chatting for so long. (laughs) And I was telling him, that it was, it was, as I finished it, I was thinking, gosh, this isn't a book for kids. This is a book for adults too. This is a book that it, it carries such a, a foundational piece of how we could all, that better version of ourselves, if we hinged our carts to these core themes of kindness and compassion and what it means to be human. And maybe we can, we can start with there, Anthony, about, you know, what was your motivation for writing it? What was it that drew you to this world that you created? Well, I I mean, I think, you know, what I always do about this is because, uh, as you say, it's a a reimagined Greek folktale or fairy tale, if you want to go that route. And um, it happened because I was teaching and living in Greece for several years. And uh, I just happened upon their stories. And I... 
I, what I always think of is um, that the, the Greek, the Greek belief, a cultural belief in the power of story to comfort and give advice. It's, 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 in, it's in the word paramithi, which is to, uh, to advise and console. So I think each time I write for children, you know, I, sure, number one, I want them to be entertained, you know, and I, I want to, you know, be sure that they, they get that level, but also what can I give them in terms of the themes? Uh, and I'll step back and I'll say this, books, literature, good books, good poetry, good nonfiction, et cetera, whatever it may be, it, literature, books are doors and windows and they're also mirrors. And so, mm -hmm. you know, to have, to have children read Lucas and the Game of Chance and have that window open to, to see this, this Lucas character go through his journey of uh, loss and discovery and uh, uh, redemption, you know, to have them see this, that um, life can be difficult, life can be challenging. Um, there are there are times when we don't think we're going to make it, but that with resilience and with our being empowered somehow through whatever means there may be, we'll we'll find the way through. And I want them to know that they have that power. They can be empowered to do that, just as Lucas the character was. And the thing about Lucas that I love so much is that when when he left that card game where he lost everything, including his wife and children, and went on the road, he did, he was by himself. And I, I just, <laughs> I felt so bad for him because he had lost everything. He was, he, he was stripped, you know, and there he is. And he goes, now what am I going to do? You know, and so he takes it. He takes that, he takes that challenge. And he says there on the road is, as I, I talked to you before we, we were recording that, he says, be, before God and the saints and the spirits that guide us, uh, you know, please, you know, I, I, I'm going to do what I need to do to sacrifice myself, to find a way to gain back what I lost, that is even as money in a way, but also uh, everyone that I love, you know, and so, I, I mean, to, to have kids see that with me um, is, is just a joy. And when I, was, when I, when I write, um, what I like to do is to go into a school and bring a, a PowerPoint of my, my draft. And because if they, if they could see my draft, they can see a kind of craziness because I'm making all these, you know, when it's, it's uh, they're seeing, uh, arrows and they're seeing slashes and they're seeing me find five different ways of saying the same thing. So on that level alone in a school, to have them see writing is writing, hmm. you know, and the fact that writing is rewriting and uh, the, the first draft is like a, 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 um, a telescope through which you see the writing, you know, that type of thing. That just that skill level makes me very happy. But to, to have them also join with me 
when I do that kind of thing and 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 start seeing some of the of the mystery of life and the challenges of life, then I'm I'm in a great place because that's my that's my goal. Um, I love Anthony that you are you are showing kids a draft, and I love it specifically because. And it, this is quite fortuitous this time. I just finished reading a book about the, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's basically on the founding and creation of Instagram, the social media giant that is all over. And one of the things they were talking about in Instagram and Facebook and social media in general is how that's affecting children and the detriment to it of kids having to operate under this pretense that you have to be so perfect. And with everybody trying to present this perfect, three times filtered image of themselves. And it, it's, they were talking about studies done in schools and how kids were deeming their sense of worthiness by the number of likes and comments they got. And if they weren't getting at least 30 likes and 10 comments within an hour of posting something, they basically thought they were irrelevant. That was the term they use, relevance and irrelevance. And here you have young children, not even high school, but young kids deciding their sense of worth, their sense of relevance based on arbitrary things like lights and comments, not, not aware that there's all these behind the scenes things that goes on to even see if their post shows up in front of someone. But I just imagine, and, and the book was highlighting this too, the pressure that it puts on children to be perfect, to be, to have this, this impossible image that they have to put forth all the time. And so for you as an author of this book that kids are going to love, to come in and show the imperfect, the imperfect as it's being created. Gosh, I just think that's such an extraordinary gift. And it's something too that I feel like I talk to quite a few parents who are wrestling with, you know, what can I do for my kids? And I think it's a beautiful message to give to parents too, to give them permission to show the imperfections, to give them permission to air out the icky parts and not have to have it be this social media worthy presentation where our worth is not validated by likes and follows, but it's really about substance. It's about that this, this starts looking more something like this, where it's a bunch of scribbles and, <laughs> and incoherent writing, but it's, it's, that's where we all begin. Well, I think it's important, you know, also that, that I follow that up by going, returning, you know, right? I'll do it several times and then during the drafting and then to return many months later, a year later or so, you know, with the finished book, you know, and then they can, uh, and, and they can see, you know, that, that it does come together, you know, and that it does, in a sense, that process leads, process can sometimes lead to product, you know, and uh, I, I mean, you know, the, you know, getting the, the the message is getting getting it down means getting it right. You know, mm. without the writing, and so many of them are absolutely taken away when I tell them that that passage that I just worked on, I revised that maybe fifty times. You know, mm. and they're they because see the thing is, they need if if they're going to become better readers and writers, then they need to be surrounded by teachers who are readers and writers, you know, and that's, and that's a lot to ask because their lives are so busy. And they'll say, when they came to the university, when I was at, still at university, we had a summer program for teachers as writers. And uh, 
they would say, I, I don't write. The best thing I write are shopping lists. Well, by the time they left us, they were writing their memoirs and they were, you know, they were, they were getting into it because we said to them, you need to go back into your school, please, and show kids what you do as a writer and invite them in to the process of this is what it takes. But I mean, I see that as a metaphor in such a grand, grand way in terms of a lifetime, you know, that life is process, you know, and, and, and life is, is, is trying out, experimenting, you know, working our way through as best we can, you know, and I mean, they, I think they know that in sports. I, I think they know that in sports because in sports, they're always practicing to try to make it better, you know, so they get it. Uh, and it's a, it's a joy to have them. Um, I, I, sometimes I would leave behind a prompt. And one of the ones that worked really beautifully in the seventh grade class or classes, actually, I went through that whole day with them was um, uh, they all lived happily ever after. And then I would say, what if they didn't, you know, and they came, yeah. they came back with the, like, a, I came back like two weeks later to hear their writing and they were hysterical. You know, because I mean, they they had these animals and they had these people like being nasty, and then they would, you know, they they uh, it it was just it, so so she ate the apple and she turned into an orangutan, and now <laughs> so it wasn't so happy after all, you know. And and I like that. Um, I like it because uh, one of the things about working with retelling or reimagining stories that come out of a patriarchal world because that's you know they're they're they were oral stories passed down generation and usually there's a lot of sexism and a lot of and and we found when we were doing we did an anthology of 20 stories of 20 greek stories and i was doing that with my greek colleagues um we had we we wanted to um to to disrupt the status quo and so we would take, for example, in my Cinderella story, which is the orphan, a Cinderella story from Greece, she, she's so much more um, in control and empowered than, the, than a typical Cinderella who, yes, in, my, in our story, she does wind up with the prince, but that's just the beginning of it because she doesn't really wind up happy, happily ever after the, the whole new section that we found that we found it, you know, uh, and so to defy the status quo, I like that. And, and I, that's why I think, uh, so they all lived happily ever after. What if they didn't, you know, yeah. is, is defying the status quo because they can, they can come up with um, the prince who's a weakling, the prince who, who, who really despises himself because he overeats. You know what I mean, or something. You know, so I mean, it's so much fun. <laughs> and I love that too because I feel like there's such a the the if I were to call it the Disneyification, and I don't even know if we can term that, but of of so many of those, they lived happily ever after stories. The plot line is so similar in the sense of you have damsel in distress, prince rides in, rescues damsel. They kiss, live happily ever after, and it's it's such a misleading thing because it seems like okay, well, where there's you know, women are helpless, men are strong, that somebody needs to be rescued, somebody needs to be saved, somebody has only one has the capacity to save, and then 
life is as simple as saving the person who needs to be rescued. You have a smooch and, and that's it. I, and I would argue too, that's the, that's the easy part of life. The hard part is, is what happens when the magic of that smooch wears off and then you're left with another person who, who goes through and has their own stuff. The person who, who has trauma from the, the ordeal they went through, the person who has a, an identity crisis because they're not always that heroic and capable of doing it. They're not able to ride their steed the way they used to. You know, it leads into this whole wonderful exploration of what life is really like. One of the things I loved that you did in this book, Anthony, and Lucas in the Game of Chance, is one of the main characters is a snake. And I love that you chose that. And, and this was a character I felt, interestingly enough, the strongest emotional connection to. The snake barely said anything. It, was, it, was, it showed up as a primary character throughout. And what I loved about it is this, this snake is central to how the whole story unfolds. And in most, well, specifically Western cultures, Snakes are one of those animals or creatures that we often cast aside. We, you know, usually when people say snakes, they shudder, they shiver. I know in, at the zoo where I live, there's a reptiles section where they have a few different snake species in there. And inevitably, before you go in and when people see the snake sign and they see that you'll have the most outspoken comments of, ew, gross, I don't want to go in there. Whereas everybody wants to go see the lions. Everybody wants to go see the gorillas. Everybody wants to go see all these other animals they're celebrated and excited about. But with the snakes, there is audible ewes and grosses and people, you know, so it's this, it's this animal that is typically cast aside culturally, yet it is one that is celebrated and it is critical to this, this story. And I think the emerging theme of kindness and compassion and what can happen when we we demonstrate kindness and compassion to those who we may not normally see as being equal or like ourselves. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. I mean, I really appreciate you saying that because I mean, that was to me, that was a pivot, you know, into um, the, the, the genesis and, you know, and, and the, the gift of the story to readers is the fact that this so-called reviled creature turns out to be an excellent dancer. <laughs> you know, he's he's like the Fred Astaire of the of the of the, the snake kingdom, you know, and um and and eventually what also is that he talks, you know, and I when I first did that scene of when he when he talks for the first time, I had Lucas like, oh what you know I was in a writer's group and they said to me, No, no, not at all. He should just go, ha. He not only dances, he probably sings as well because he speaks, you know, and that made it so much more um, acceptable because sure, look at everything else he does, you know, and, he, and then he, and he talks to Lucas, he talks to Lucas about the fact that he's going to be, he's going to have to die someday and he's going to have to go back to where his people are, where his snake people are. And, um, you know, and that, that too I loved because there we go again impermanence and death are part of the life experience, you know, and, and I found that very sad for me. I mean, I was really moved by the fact that when they came back that time to find him and he was dead. Yeah. Uh, 
that was that was really moving. That was one of the two times I cried, and yeah. it, it just occurred to me to ask you this question. The one character, and when everybody will, this will be clear once you read the book, but Lucas plays this flute, and the one character that consistently shows up to hear Lucas play throughout the story is the snake. His parents, you don't hear about the parents showing up and hearing Lucas play. They're too distracted with their own problems and their woes and struggles and challenges of life. And it's, it's such a curious thing because I think all of us, especially as children, we inevitably want someone to show up for us. And many of us, as we grow up into becoming big kids or adults, we find some of our biggest grievances and challenges that we have with childhood were those moments where we felt like people weren't there. And we have these expectations that our parents should be the, you know, picture perfect image, whatever it is, not realizing that our parents are these people with their own hopes, dreams, fears, insecurities, struggles, all those types of things. And so here Lucas is, he's this little boy who loves, who loves playing this flute. And the snake is the one that shows up for him. And it's not just one day. The snake shows up for him every single day over the span of 10 plus years that snake shows up to hear Lucas play. I, I'm wondering if you did that intentionally, if there was something there. I mean, that just, it just occurred to me with that, like how beautiful is it too, that not only is the snake that is, as you said, normally considered one of the more reviled creatures, but it's the one that shows up. Well, I mean, he, uh, the thing that I like, I mean, well, the other thing about, about Lambros the snake is that he leaves behind not one, not two, but three coins. And now for that society, and what I, in my mind is like a medieval society, three coins, that's wealth, you know? And so he, that's the, that's the reward, you know, which, is, which I like. I mean, that's okay. You know, we're not always rewarded but by what we give, but in this case, he's rewarded. The other thing that I like about Lucas so much, I mean, about the Lambro so much, the snake, that I want, wanted to hold on to is that he's very spiritual. Hmm. Uh, and that comes out when he starts talking because he says, I, I will need to go back to, to, to my, my place, you know, the, where the kingdom that I came from, you know, I, I, will, I will go back there when I die to join with my kin. And, and uh, he, it's like he's saying, I will accept that. You know, I will accept that and I will, I will go there with my spirit filled. And he tells Lucas that later on, you filled me with music that helped me to, under, to, to, to counter, to uh, leverage what I was seeing among humans that I did not like. Hmm. You know, and that, that music, like, like we do in our life, we'll go to the opera, we'll go to a, 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 a heavy metal, I don't care, you know what I mean? The point is that, you know, you know, we'll, we'll go, we'll go where we can find some kind of sustenance, you know, and I think that that's, that was, um, I, di I didn't realize that that's, that was what's happening to Lambros till later on, when he says, you gave me so much, you think I gave you so much, but you gave me so much mm. in return. And that came to me much later, uh, when I realized, of course, he, of course, that's the case. You know, he, he, Lucas helped to save Lambros because what he was seeing around him was a world in disarray. 
you know, and, and, uh, and, and I didn't play off of that. If I had written a novel, that would have been a great place to go. <laughs> you know, does he see war? You know, does he see scandal? You know, what is it that he's seeing in that world that uh, the music saved him from? And, you know, and, and, then, and then, of course, that's also a tribute to the art, is it not? I mean, art, art heals. Yeah. Art so often saves us. And uh, I think that um, you're, you're what, what's so good about Jesse, what's so good about you is that you, you, you did such a close reading of my book that it makes me feel honored, you know, that, uh, that you, you, saw, you, you saw some depth to character and, and theme. Um, it's, it's quite an honor because, I mean, you know, uh, writing is a labor of love and it's very solitary most of the time. And, um, you know, you, you, you send it out um, and usually it gets a lot of rejections, which this did. Uh, and that's why I went toward independent publishing with it. But, um, it, you know, it, to, to, find, to find a reader and to get that kind of response would be, when I was in the theater performing as an actor, you often hear actors say this, that the audience's vitality, the audience's energy contributes to your movement, to your, your gestures, to your, your, your voice, you know, to, you know, because you can hear them saying to you, it's okay, it's okay, go on, go on, you know. And, um, and I think that's, that's, that writers don't have that enough, hmm. you know, that, that uh, it's very nice to be able to, that's why I go into the school you know, with, with, the, with the manuscript in, in draft form, because I, I love to hear. And the thing that I did that they also, was also so successful, and I hope other authors and illustrators are hearing this, is that the illustrator, Donald Babish, who did the 10 pen and ink illustrations, allowed me to take the illustrations into the classroom. And I would take these out and they would go, oh, or oh, oh, ah, or and the one said, with the waves at the beginning, there's a, an illustration with Lucas with his father on, and a, on a, I don't know if they're on a boat, I can't remember right now, but there are the waves and the waves are very sharp, they're very stylized. And, and he said, the one kid yelled out, they look like, they look like sharks. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I wasn't, we weren't thinking of that, but if that's what you wanna see, go ahead. <laughs> The illustrations are so beautifully done, and I didn't even think of that as I was looking at them. But the pen and ink, the that's kind of how we all learn to draw, right? Pen and paper, pen and pen and a piece of paper, pencil on a piece of paper, and it's it's almost one of these these lost arts right now because we have so much digital and the technology can do so many incredible things, and I, it was so refreshing to see these beautiful, vivid pictures brought to life with ink. Anthony, we're running up on time here. So before I ask my final question, where can people find and connect with you online? Oh, well, um, I, I prefer people coming to my website. Um, uh, Anthony Manna, that's M as in Mark, A-N-N-A, -N -N -A, two N's, anthonymannabooks.com. The reason I say that is because, especially for, for parents, who are dealing with um, kids at home, or even just their kids, you know, who want to do some some good uh, activities. There, there are uh, crossword puzzles and word searches, and also I've got a whole section on Lucas and the Game of Chance, 
with questions to help readers connect in a, um, you know, in a, an intense way. You know, I ask a lot of questions about the story, its development, the characters, the themes, and, and also the, um, the website also has uh, a lot of um, book lists, uh, graphic novels, uh, and I did, um, I did a piece on uh, a blog on um, uh, comics and how they've become so much, graphic literature has become so much a part of the curricula. You know, so yeah, my website is a great place to go, I hope. <laughs> Anthony, final question. As an educator and author now, I've heard people, heard this discussion many a times about books fading away and technology taking over with kids and, and trying to capture their imagination. And especially now, I was reading a study that was saying something to the effect that one of the things, one of the detriments of technology is we have, we have conditioned, the well, we're conditioning them all adults, but young children, they, that if something is not grabbing them in two seconds, they can just swipe off to another option versus actually having to make it through the once upon a time to get to the substance of a book. How can we, and when I say we, this is as broad of a spectrum as you want to you want to play with. How can we help keep children engaged in reading? Help them to continue to find the magic in a book. Somebody said something to me early on in my graduate studies when I myself was discovering children's literature for the first time. I did not grow up with children's books. I grew up in a family where survival was the key. They had survived the um, the, the Great Depression, and we were really out of money. <laughs> so what I, what I, when I was, when I was discovering the world of children's books, I remember one professor said, all it takes is the right book at the right time. Hmm. And so, because so often what happens is we force the literature upon them that they're supposed to like. And I think the programs that I've been involved in and in my graduate studies, the programs that we brought out to schools was choice, choice. And there's a program from the Children's Book Council, cbc.org, that has, they call it children's and teen choices. These are the books kids themselves choose. And then they, they, what I like about CBC is that they celebrate them as kind of re, uh, award books because kids themselves said, so I always tell parents, go there, you know, and because it's, it goes all the way from very, very young all the way up to teen. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a very honored list, you know, and, and it shows kids read, kids read quality. But it's that one book that that, that kid got that went, oh, yes. For me, it was Ellery Queen. Most people will go, what the heck is Ellery Queen? But it was a mystery, it was mystery by Ellery Queen. And I thought, oh, so this is what it's all about. And it was, it was, it was intriguing and you know, brought me in. And I felt like I was part of the characters. And all it takes is one good book. 
So you gotta, you gotta, you know, in the, in the old days, you bring the kids to the library. Well, they still do. My libraries are open here, but they're very cautious and very safe places. But there are, tell, tell people to get in touch with me at anthonymanabooks.com and, and look at some of my lists because that's what I did. I try to put together uh, materials that kids themselves would relate to, but also I can direct people to um, many different, uh, many different, uh, what I'm gonna say, materials where they'll be introduced to Native American literature, black and brown, you know, alternative, uh, alternatives to life. You know, I mean, it's, it, I, it goes on and on. You know, there's, there's a world out there that uh, I would love to introduce parents to and teachers. Great, Jesse. Very good, everyone. <laughs> Boy, you're going to want to rewatch and re-listen, whether you are a parent, a child, or you have a childlike imagination, or you're just a human being wanting to learn and lean into more about the possibility of what kindness and compassion could look like in your life. You are going to run to read Lucas in the Game of Chance. Anthony gave us such an insightful conversation today about the inner weavings of Lucas's world and about a young boy who befriends a snake and the snake and him exchange gifts of music and, and gold coins and how that evolves and grows into this beautiful journey really about life and core themes about what it means to be human. I love that we touched on the relationship with the snake and how it was this creature that so many of us revile but ends up being one of the sentimental and probably in my opinion the real heart piece of the story and it begs the opportunity for us all to examine what is it that we revile in our life that may be a heart piece to our story. As you read the book, you find these key elements of kindness and compassion, humility, and how they play out. And how when, you, when Lucas steps away from them, it costs him literally everything. And it's not until he comes back full circle and finds them again that he's able to gain back what really matters most to him. It's interesting that we're reading this book at this amazing time in life when as of time this recording, it's February 9th, 2021. Many of us are still locked down because of COVID-19. Many of us are in this space where in this last year, we feel like we have lost so much that we are going without much of how we knew what life was before. And, and perhaps if you can find inspiration from one thing in Lucas and the Game of Chance, you might find the inspiration of, of seeing maybe some of what really matters most to you is still within your possession. And just like Lucas, it, it takes a personal journey of discovery to figure out what that is and stepping into embracing it. And then lastly, but not least, remember, it's just that one book for children, for adults. I, I know exactly which book it was for me. Anthony knows which book it is for him. There is always, we're just one book away from having our lives changed, our eyes open and the world around us expanded. Dr. Anthony Mana, thank you so very much for this conversation, your time today, and sharing with us Lucas and the Game of Chance. I deeply appreciate you, and we look forward to talking again very soon. Thank you, thank you, Jesse. It's been, you bet. It's been an honor. It's, it's, you're doing wonderful work. Uh, I, I love going to your website. It's very uplifting. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you, and we will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to